my name is Ron. Um, it's great to be with you this morning. I was just laughing during the first worship song, and some of you might have thought maybe the Holy Spirit had fallen upon him, but I was literally just laughing at the fact that this is the first time I've been asked to preach anywhere but my own church. So if it, if it goes well, obviously you can thank Ben, and if it goes not so well, you've got Ben to blame as well. Um, and I want to give, I mean, these guys leading us in worship and the people on the teams, uh, we want to give them a round of applause because, you know, the worship guys, where are you? They're down the front. Wonderful to see you. And the kids have gone out, the kids, the people serving on kids' teams, incredible work. Let's give them a little round of applause because you know, we want to warm this place up and they can feel our praise and God can feel our praise as we appreciate what people are giving here that you're giving not just of your treasures, but of your time and your talents as well. Then there's all the youth. Matt out in the youth group. Let's give him our praise. And their team there. Uh, who have I gotten? Hosting, welcome. You guys do a fantastic job of making this place somewhere, a place of hospitality. So thank you for all that you're doing too. And the technical team that makes sure we've got sound for videos, etc. So just so much is going on in this place. And then we have Ben and we have Laura. And these, these guys have had this vision that's been planted. They've shared it with you. They've had this vision that's been planted in their hearts. So they're just being, just being obedient to what God is doing. And it's great, it's wonderful to see so many of you joining with them this morning. Just to join in with what God is doing in this place, in this time. And I, had, I felt like the Lord was saying to me as I was driving along the freeway, I was feeling for my, my colleague here, that's quite a long journey to make. So I've come all the way from Malibu. It's quite a long journey to make from, from Santa Monica. Um, and how much he's given and how much he's given up in order to be obedient to what God is doing. So I just pray that you'll be supportive of him and his family and encourage him. And it can be quite a lonely thing as a vicar, uh, as a pastor. Uh, we call them vicars in the UK as a pastor. So support him, encourage him and, his, and Laura and the kids uh, as they journey with you in making Pasadena all that God has got for you to do. I'm expecting that God is going to do immeasurably more. That's the word that he was giving me as I drove in. God is going to do abundantly more than you could ever ask for or imagine. Well, that was loud through there. The people getting more than they bargained for is not a new thing. We're going to turn to our Bibles. We're going to, Jonathan, uh, would you like to come and bring us our reading? We're going to hear from Acts 3. We're going to hear about a man who's been surprised by God, a man whose expectations are exceeded in an incredible fashion. Can you hear me? Ah. Acts 3, 1 to 10. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have 
I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Thanks, Jonathan. Here we have a homeless man. He's sitting at the gate, a gate called the Beautiful Gate, the Temple of Jerusalem, and he's begging. And you say to yourself this morning, well, there's nothing new here. Uh, It's a familiar sight to those of us who live in Southern California. Half of the homeless of the USA, in fact, live in California, some 160,000 people. 51,000 of those are here in LA County. Uh, Malibu, where I live, literally just held a special council meeting about what to do with the rising homelessness issue. I'm not sure whether the fact that I've just said I'm from Malibu has ingratiated me into your hearts or that you're hating on me right now. But somebody's got to do the job. That's my excuse. What do you do when you see a homeless person as you drive in this morning under the bridges or at the intersections? What do you do? Well, you might give him a couple of bucks. You might buy him a sandwich. You might give him the details of the Salvation Army. You may just be filled with compassion enough and say a prayer as you walk on by, perhaps on the other side of the street, but that's another story and we don't have time for that today. Lord, will you provide for him? I suspect that's what they're expecting from us. From any human being, in fact. There's nothing special in that. There's nothing that stands us out from the crowd in that respect, if that's what we do when we see a homeless person. At the last count, I had a look online. There are some 550 people, homeless people, here in Pasadena. The site will be familiar to you. So what can you do? Well, you can send them to Union Rescue Mission. Door of Hope Union. You could give them a couple of bucks. You could buy them a sandwich. The problem with that is that it's a handout. And what they need is a hand up. The way we address problems are merely band-aids. What people need, as the scripture has just been read to us, is a hand up. That's when the expectations are exceeded. The church for years has been reasonably good at getting into the river, the torrent of flowing river where people are struggling and drowning, like the LA River. We'd stand in there and we'd drag people out and we'd put them on safe ground and dry ground. And what we really need to be doing is going back upstream a little bit to find out the culprit, the person who's throwing them in the river to begin with and give them a good old British slap on the cheek. That's what we need to do as a church. And this is where Peter and John come in. This is what we find in this story from a couple of thousand years ago that has complete resonance with our current societal ills. These are the three points that I'm going to address today. We find that God's power is contained in the name of Jesus Christ. We find that God's power is available to everyone who believes. And we find that God's power is not to be contained in the church. If you've got your Bibles with you, please do open them up, maybe uh, on your phone. Uh, If you have a look at verse 6, we're going to start there. 
Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Now he doesn't say what Jesus would have said. Jesus would have said, get up, you are healed. He says, in the name of the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. He makes it quite clear where this healing power exists. It's not in crystals. It's not in some blue ball of healing power. It's not in transcendental meditation. It's not in walking along Malibu Pier wearing yoga pants even. It's the name of Jesus that counts. Here, today, yesterday and forever. I don't know if you know the Queen of England. I, I think there's slight suspicion that anyone who comes from England is related to the Queen of England. I'm not. Um, but I am like the Queen of England, that I don't really carry cash around with me. And Peter seems to know that even if he had some cash, some silver or some gold, you know, he knows that they're just going to be band-aids to this particular problem. When Ro and I had our first child, I was just explaining to someone, we had our first baby at ages 30, 31. We were not Christians at the time. I had lived a life growing up in London of uh, debauchery and hedonism and grasping for possessions and power wherever I could find it because that's what I thought life was all about. Uh, my father passed away at the age of 13, and I can remember not having gone to Sunday school uh, very much as a child. In fact, my, my parents sent me once, and uh, it was a Sunday afternoon, and they sent me to Sunday school. And I came back, I think I was about eight years old, and I said, I'm never going back there again. The reason why parents in the UK sent their children to Sunday school was so that the parents could have some intimate time together. Uh, on their own and I'm scuppered their plan straight away I'm not going back there at the age of 13 my dad died and I can remember saying I'm having nothing to do with you God I turned atheist in that moment I do not believe that a God who is supposed to be loving and kind and gentle and all these things could exist if you would take my father away from me but around about the age of 19 20 I remember looking up at the stars one night and thinking is this all there is to life am I just destined to literally go to work on Monday morning, earn some money, come home at the weekends, get completely wasted, get back up again the following Monday and do the cycle all over again. And I looked up at the stars and I thought, there must be more to life. There's got to be some sort of purpose, some reason behind my existence. And so I started searching. And I started searching in transcendental meditation and Buddhism and Indian spirituality and some new age stuff. And I grew up in London, remember. So there was a lot on offer, a real pick and mix spirituality. And then as we went into labor with our first child, my wife suffered a massive anaphylaxis and ended up in a coma. And it was like a, seri a scene from ER as the doctors came rushing in as my wife started to swell and her body shut down and the baby's heartbeat, who was still inside, went sky high and then down to nothing. They took her out to the operating theater and a year, uh, 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 an hour later came out to me and said, congratulations, here's your baby daughter. Uh, but your wife is in a coma. We don't think she'll come out of her coma. If she does, she will be brain damaged. Congratulations, here's your baby daughter. And all I knew to do in that moment was to pray. Even atheists will pray in moments of desperation when the plane is going down. And so I prayed. And I'll admit, I did not know which God I was praying to. 
But I said these words, and I do not say them lightly, and I don't recommend you say them lightly. So God, if you're there, this would be a really good time for you to show up in my life. And if you do this, these are the words that you don't say lightly. If you do this, if you save my wife, I'll do anything for you. All right, he must be laughing right now. Because him making me become a vicar and then a pastor in America is totally him getting some of that back. That was not in my life plan. So 32 years of age, we set out on this journey to discover together what life was really all about. And I retired at that point, semi-retired, and just spent time being a family. We just spent time recognizing how precious life is, how important life is. I recognize by when I look at some of your faces, you don't know my full story. My wife is fine, as is our baby daughter, who just turned 18 and got a place at Cambridge. They're doing absolutely fine. Um, So we went on this journey to really discover what life was about. It took us another three or four years before somebody said to us, the God that you're looking for is Jesus Christ. It took us 34 years, and we grew up in London with 7 million inhabitants, 34 years before somebody said who you need, what you need, the person you need, the name you need to hear to get up and walk is the name Jesus Christ. It took 34 years before anyone thought we were valuable enough to say, Ron, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. No one told us for 34 years what power there was in the name of Jesus. Now the name, uh, the idea of names having power might be strange to those of us in the modern Western world, except when you say to someone, just mention my name and it will get you in through the door. See, names do actually carry power. Perhaps the invocation of hidden forces, the summoning of new possibilities beyond human ability. And that point resonates through this narrative from this moment with Peter and John to us today, sat here in Pasadena. The name Jesus now carries that power. Mention his name. Mention his name and new things are going to happen. Mention his name and you'll get more than you bargained for. God's power is contained in the name of Jesus Christ. God's power is available to everyone who believes. I can tell you a little bit about this beautiful gate where he sat. It would have been something like 75 feet high. Anyone live in a house that's 75 feet high? No, I would imagine that. Two houses high. 60 feet wide, made of Corinthian brass, beautifully ornamented with uh, gold and silver. And because the gate would have been located on the east side, it would have radiated beauty with every sunrise. As a matter of fact, the gate was of such beauty, one would hardly even notice a lowly beggar sitting by the gate. Verses two. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Just pay particular attention just for a moment to verse four. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. 
So the fact that this man was outwardly disabled is clear. It's obvious. But now we're getting a sense that actually inwardly he's also disabled. In, in mind, in heart, in spirit. Years of dependency on everyone else. Years of begging have taken this emotional toll on this man's self-esteem and sense of worth. He has such a low opinion of himself. He can't even bring himself to look people in the eye as he panhandles for money. So the very first thing that Peter does is say, look up. Look me squarely in the eyes. And if you look at verse 5, it tells us that point. This man gave them this attention, expecting to get something from them. Here we see the low-level expectation of the beggar. He sat by the gate. He's begged for so long. He has no expectation of ever rising above where he is in life. In his mind, in his heart, in his spirit, he's come to believe this is it. This is all I'm worth. His greatest hope, his greatest expectation is that Peter and John will just plunk a few quarters in his tin cup. Then he can go on being what he's always been, a lowly, lame beggar. Peter feels the compassion of Christ in his heart, fixes his heart on this fellow. The lame man's expectations, you can sense it in the moment, are beginning to be raised. He he believes maybe for a moment he's going to get more than what he bargained for. And I'm sure that many people had come and gone, would not even look in his direction. Maybe they'd laugh at him and do worse. But this time he saw that someone was interested in in him. You know, you've never looked into the eyes of someone whom God doesn't love. Look at the person next to you. Just take a moment to look at the person next to you. You've never looked into the eyes of someone whom God doesn't love. The Bible states in one translation, he gave, I love this bit because it's a bit more like Queen's English. He gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. We don't speak like that back in the UK, by the way. There he sat in the shadows of the brilliance and grandeur of a, of a gate, plated with gold and silver, decorated with ornamental jewels, yet none of that has rubbed off on him. The stark contrast must have made him feel even worse about himself. Maybe that's how people who find themselves in situations like this man feel. Who knows? I suspect, unlike Jesus, we're not spending too much time with those who are on the margins of our society. Like they may make us unclean or something. So man can make a gate beautiful, but nothing a man can do will make the man beautiful. Only God can do that. Sometimes, yes, we can do things to improve our looks on the outside. We can get a shave or get a haircut or have a shower. Yeah, we might still be lame on the inside. Only by the power of God can we clean up our lives and stay well spiritually, in mind, in body, in spirit. He starts to believe God's power is available to everyone who believes. He starts to believe. See, this man, he could probably see, he could probably speak, he could probably hear, he could move his arms and his upper torso, and there's just one thing that's actually wrong with him. No strength in his ankles, in his legs. And from verse 2, we've seen that he's had this condition since he was born. His parents never experienced the joy of seeing him take his very first step, pulling himself up to a chair, pulling ornaments off your sides, 
I never got to see him running with other children, climbing a tree, kicking a ball, or playing sports in high school. We've all got something wrong with us. We're all lame. We're all in need of God's healing power. Let me introduce you to a couple of people from the previous church. Thank you very much for saying what you said, Ben. It was all God. Um, guy called Luke. Let's call him Luke because that's his name. Luke was a down and out. Luke was abusive. He was drunk. He was hooked on narcotics. And he met with Jesus. He met with Jesus. And I remember the time when he met with Jesus. He'd come into the back of church and I was preaching just like this. And at the time, we came to a time of response. And he had clearly been moved by the message. So moved that he took his shoes. He didn't know what he was doing, but he took his shoes off because he clearly had this sense that he was on holy ground. And he came running down the center of the church like he was going to sack the quarterback. I'm the quarterback at this stage. I could see the look of horror in the congregation's faces as they saw this down and out type person firing himself up towards the pastor. And he got to where I was standing and he fell to his knees and he met with Jesus. We used to have this big cross behind us and he looked up at the cross and in that moment he knew everything that God had given was for him. He knew that. And he came to Jesus right there and then. Then we have someone else called Barbie. Let's call her Barbie. Well, that's because her name is Barbie. She had had uh, eight children, but we came to her in a point where she was struggling and on the poverty line or below the poverty line. She couldn't feed her children. And so we went round to her house and we had a look and we did some good stuff and we painted some of the rooms and we gave them some new beds and other things like that. So we gave them some silver and some gold, if you like. And about a year later, she found herself into one of our services. She'd actually just had a miscarriage and was crying out to find out why this had happened to her. Well, the beautiful thing was she met with Jesus and Jesus filled that hole in her heart. He completed her. And she came to know him. And the wonderful story is that I think five of her eight children have now come because of this change, this transformation in mum, have now come to know Jesus for themselves as well. And then there's Ian. Let's call him Ian because, well, you guessed it, right? His name is Ian. Uh, He came to us. He came straight out of prison. He was a bad boy. He came straight out of prison. And he was 30 years of age. And he'd been in and out and in and out of prison ever since he was like 12, 13, 14, youth offenders type sort of thing. And he came out of prison and he knew the only way that he was not going back into prison was in the power of Jesus. And so he came and threw himself. We didn't even have to evangelize. He just came to us and said, I know I need hope. I know I need healing. I've been searching for it for 16, 18 years and I've not found any solutions. I know that you, the church, have the answer and the answer is Jesus. We've all got something wrong with us. We're all lame. We're all in need of God's healing power. Perhaps it's you. Maybe you're the person in the story. Maybe physically, perhaps spiritually, maybe emotionally. You're stretched. You're in need of healing. You're in need of a hand up. 
Maybe you've spent years and you feel like you're actually overlooked by God. Maybe your prayers for healing have gone unanswered. Perhaps years of crying out and you're thinking, does God actually care about me and about my situation? I want to come here today to tell you, not just to tell you, but for you to hear. And not just for you to hear, but for you to be changed. That God's power is available to everyone who believes. God's power is contained in the name of Jesus. But quickly and lastly, I want to tell you that God's power is not to be contained in the church. If you return to the story, we see something significant is happening. It's going to take boldness for you to hear it, to see it, to believe it, and then to do it. Are you ready? Okay, so in Malibu, I have this kind of participative style. Uh, it's going to take boldness and courage for you to, to hear it, to see it, to believe it, to do it. Are you ready to hear it? Yes. Cool. Up until now, the whole of Acts has been taking place in Jerusalem, but not in or even around the temple. Sure, we see believers regularly going to worship like as an aside, regularly going to worship like as an aside and as a fellow pastor. And just in case any of my flock happen to be listening to this online, the key words are regularly going to worship in the temple. The most important things they actually did like breaking bread, the teaching, the fellowship all happened elsewhere in little community groups, perhaps. You've got community groups here, Ben? Make sure you get yourself in one. If you don't know what a community group is, chat to Ben afterwards. The demonstration of Jesus' power happened not inside the temple, but outside the gate, on the streets. See, God is on the move. He's not confined within the institution of the church or even within these four walls of Hamilton Elementary School. The theme continues, Luke is telling us that the good news of Jesus, though beginning in Jerusalem, is starting to reach out to anyone and everyone who needs it. To this day, reaching out to you, your family, your colleagues, your friends, your neighbours, everyone in Pasadena, everyone in LA, everyone in this city. In his power is the name to do all these miracles, which I haven't got the time to read out, but I found there were 37 turning water into wine, healing the official's son, driving out evil spirits, healing Peter's mother-in-law, healing the sick and oppressed, a miraculous catch of fish, healing a man of leprosy, it goes on. Situations abound for us where we can see power in the name of Jesus work in people's lives and situations. And it's into such situations as this, look, God injects himself in the person, the power of the Holy Spirit, but into one of his witnesses, you guys, gathered here this morning not accidentally but providentially this happens when you are filled with the Holy Spirit continually filled with the Holy Spirit and we'll take an opportunity as we come back from communion you can be prayed for to be filled with the Holy Spirit the miracle uh, the miracle occurs as miracles always do when God's people first see the opportunity and then seize it so I'm going to be praying for you as you respond that God will give you eyes to see how you can be witnesses in his world. Last week at Malibu, 
Um, I'm sat in Starbucks with on uh, Pepperdine's campus. Pepperdine is a college uh, in Malibu. And I'm sat there with this student of ours. He said, my friend is interested in getting baptized. As we were chatting with the student, it was clear that he didn't even know there was power in the name of Jesus. Let's call him Davis. It's okay, because his name is Davis. So we just talked about who Jesus was, what he's done for us, and how much power there would be in his name. And so he received the name of Jesus. And he's weeping in front of me. It's okay because he shared his story last week. He's weeping in front of me. I said, what is God showing you right now? He said, my dad, who died when I was 11 from stage four cancer, couldn't, couldn't move towards the end of his life. He said, and a, a baseball match I went to, one of the last things his dad was able to do was at a baseball match, his son, Davis, struck it out the park. And his dad shuffled over to grandma and said, did you see that? Did you see my son? Did you see what he did? And David said, I, I've just had a vision. He didn't even know how to explain it. He said, I just had a vision. He's just become a Christian. God's just given me a vision, a glimpse into heaven. My dad is healed. My dad is well. And he just said these words. Did you see my son? Did you see what he just did? Amen. There is power in the name of Jesus. What would it look like? If your community, in your community, if you started to act like the name of Jesus actually carried the power that it does, to heal, to save, to deliver, what would it feel like if you lived in the power and the name of Jesus? If you acted in faith, prayed in faith, spoke in faith, and God actually exceeded your expectations, he did abundantly more, even more than you could ever ask for or imagine in your community groups, in the office tomorrow at a high school football game with your mum, your dad, your family around the table later on today, with your kids and the way that you parent, what would it look like if you started to act like the name of Jesus really carried the power to heal, to save, to deliver with the homeless guy hanging out in the shadow of the Rose Bowl? Your very own beautiful gate right here in Pasadena. Well, I would suspect that we would have our very own expectations exceeded. God promises to do even more than we could ask or imagine through all of you here at Vintage Pasadena. There is power in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together for a moment as Ben prepares to lead us in communion.